of us are supposed to be missionaries. Just the reality is, I think God has called literally all of us who are Christians to be missionaries. We're supposed to go cross-culturally. And for some of us, that means staying right here. And you go cross-culturally by going across the street or meeting with internationals who God has brought to us, you know. Um, but for some of us, it's going to be going overseas into the farthest places of the earth. Welcome to the Missions Pastor Podcast presented by One Child. One Child is a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so they can discover hope and reach their God-given potential. We believe that the local church has the message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. And in every episode, we highlight churches, pastors, and ministries who are working to bring that hope to hard places. I'm David Jesse. I'm your host for today's conversation with Brian Gay. Brian is the missions pastor at First Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Brian has been the missions pastor there for more than 15 years, but before that, he was a missionary kid serving alongside his parents in Mexico and Ecuador. I asked Brian how growing up on the mission field impacted the way he has led First Baptist Church Montgomery to develop its global missions program. Oh my goodness. We're going to go straight into the heart of it. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, you know, I think I grew up as a missionary kid and most of my life was spent in Mexico city, Mexico. And to be honest, I didn't know the difference. Like for me growing up as a missionary kid on the mission field, it's all I knew, you know, just like some people grow up in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, and that's all they know, you know, well, for me, that's all that I knew growing up. And so I didn't realize the impact that it was making on me until much, much later. But I think one of the biggest impacts was not necessarily where I was growing up, but who I was growing up with. Um, my dad has been an incredible influence on my life. He still is to this day. Um, and the fact that he had a missions vision, a missions heart, um, and just the, the leadership that he provided, uh, not only for me, but for, for the people that were in our organization, um, that became a huge, huge deal. And so I, I think the, the really cool thing was that as I grew up, I got to know what missions was living at first hand. You know, I got to see what missional community was and how living around people and telling them about Jesus was just a, a part of everyday life. So it wasn't such a special thing. It wasn't something that we, we did, you know, on a week by week, you know, like one week out of the year basis. It was something that we did every single day. Um, so we had people come over to our house and visit with us and it was all about sharing Jesus or we'd go to some house, you know, we'd share Jesus or we'd go across the, the country to somewhere. And it was just all about, you know, sharing Jesus, sharing vision, helping churches grow and get better. And so that really made a huge impact on me to, to the point where when I got this job, um, it's actually because of my parents. In fact, they were meeting with my predecessor, Harold. And one day he was, he was 70 years old. It was about time for him to retire. My dad just asked him point blank. He said, Harold, when are you going to retire? And Harold said, well, I'm, I'm looking for my replacement. And they said, well, what are you looking for? And they started describing uh, in a nutshell, me, uh, they started giving all the qualities of someone that they were looking for. But they had never really considered a missions kit. They had always, you know, thought that they were going to get a missionary coming back from the field. And my dad asked him, well, have you ever considered hiring a mission kid instead of just a, a missionary? They have the same kind of experience. It's just never been in a, in a career format. 
And they thought about it and took it back to the pastor and talked about it. And uh, lo and behold, here I am. I've been in this role now for almost 15 years. And so uh, it was a really, really cool experience. And it's definitely made a huge impact on my whole life, not just uh, my, my career, but my life and the idea that I'm going to live missionally. How has that helped you be more effective as a missions pastor at your church? Well, I think one of the biggest ways is that I can relate to missionaries overseas. So, um, or, or in the States as well, but, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to live cross-culturally. Um, and so when, when we're dealing with missionaries, which is, is a huge part of my job, obviously, um, I can relate to them. Um, and not only that, but I can relate to their kids, <laughs> which has become a huge benefit as well. <laughs> Actually, on, uh, on this last, uh, trip that I made to Mexico, uh, had, um, we were sitting in the living room just, uh, having dinner after some worship time at, with the team. And, and I got to talking to the parents about what it's like to be a missions kid. And, um, and, you know, we, as missionary kids, we have a very unique community um, and we have a very unique bond with each other because of our growing up. I mean, we, we do live life a little bit differently than, than people who grow up in a single culture. And so um, that gives me some unique insight. And, and it definitely like, this is very recent. I mean, this is just a couple months ago and was able to, to really speak into those parents about how how to help their kids. And, you know, that's a huge thing for a missionary. Um, you know, when you're serving overseas, you know, all, all of us want to be really good parents, but when you're serving overseas, it can be really difficult. I mean, you've thrust your kids into this different culture. You know that you're not giving them the same kinds of opportunities that they would have if they were back in the States. I mean, maybe you're homeschooling or you're sending the kids to international school or something like that. And so that can weigh really heavily on parents. And for me to come in as someone who knows what that's like and be able to really speak into it, um, that, that's provided to be a huge, a huge, huge benefit for me as I speak to people. What was the hardest part about growing up as a missionary kid? My wife was a PK. So what's it, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear your stories about being an MK. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know the, again, for me, it was not, I didn't have anything to compare it to, you know? So, uh, and I, I grew up in Mexico city. Um, Mexico city at the time was the largest city by population in the world. Um, of course today there are cities in China that have definitely uh, outstripped it big time. But, um, but at that time it was the largest population city in the world. And, I didn't know any different. Like, I mean, to me, it was just home. It's where I lived. It's where I grew up, you know, but, um, I think perhaps one of the more difficult things was, um, just making friends in general. Um, so with MKs again, because we are third culture kids, you know, I speak English, but I also speak Spanish, but I, I look like an American to Mexicans. And so, uh, here in the States, it's kind of funny because I'm a little more dark skinned. And so to Americans, I look Mexican, but to the Mexicans, I look American. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, growing up in that, in that culture, that was probably possibly the hardest thing you know, for me. I was a minority. Um, you know, I, I, and so I, I can really relate to people who are minorities here in the States as well, because I was one. Um, so that, that, cause that's a little bit different, you know, being different from everybody around you is always going to be, be hard. Um, but you know, and, and there was also the, the fact that, you know, we did 
we did come back and forth. You know, we would come back to the States for our stateside assignment or our furlough. And we'd spend like a year here or six months sometimes. And, and so you have to leave your friends for a while and then you go back. And the friends that were closest mm. to me were probably other mission kids, but mm. many of them I didn't get to see on a day by day basis. Um, because, you know, they're living in different cities around the country and stuff like that. So, you know, would get to interact with them only at special camps and things like that. And so, you know, that, that, that part's pretty hard, but, um, <laughs> By and large, though, like I said, I didn't really know any different. You know, I just knew that that was life and that's how I grew up and I loved it. And, and I did love it. You know, I mean, I, I speak two languages. I, I have received a whole lot of culture that, that other people could really only dream of. You know, I've seen parts of the world, even, even growing up as a kid, you know, being able to travel around Mexico and we would get to go be tourists and see different parts of Mexico and stuff like that. And, um, for me, it was just a beautiful, beautiful life. Um, it, it, you know, probably a lot more beauty than challenge, to be honest. Hmm. Did you, um, w- when you, when you transitioned back to living full-time in the United States and, and kind of the settling in here, was that a difficult transition for you? It was, um, and I think it's always going to be for, for mission kids coming back to the States. Um, you know, they're again, even though I looked American and I spoke English, you know, um, you know, English is my first language. Spanish is my second, but the reality is I'm, I was part Mexican. <laughs> and so, uh, coming back, you know, I brought back a lot of those, uh, culture things with me. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you one example is just, um, physical contact. Um, um, Americans, uh, generally have a lot less physical contact than Latin Americans. And, uh, this is exemplified just in our greetings. Um, so in Mexico, if you go to greet a, a male, you usually shake their hand and give them a hug. And if, uh, as a male greeting a female, you go up and give them a kiss on each cheek and maybe mm-hmm. a little hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, definitely give them a, a hug if they're a friend or, or a relative. And so coming back to the States, I still had kind of that, um, I still had those habits ingrained in me. And so, uh, it was hard to break those, you know, people, you come up to shake and give someone a hug and they kind of look at you funny, <laughs> you know, you try to give a woman a kiss on the cheek and she's going to look at you really funny. And so, um, so that, that was a little bit, a little bit odd, but, um, and, and then also just, you know, figuring out how to do relationships in general, because, uh, you know, I had all this culture. I had all these experiences in my life and, and I'd come back and, you know, most of the kids around me, the college students around me and stuff, they were a lot more interested in talking about, you know, last week's football game and didn't really care that I had been to the Copper Canyon and to all parts of Mexico <laughs> and seen the, you know, the, the Aztec ruins and the, know about the conquistadores coming in and what they did to the Mexicans, you know, the natives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't care about any of that. They just want to talk about, Hey, who won the football game last week? <laughs> you know, and yeah. so your shared experiences were very different. It is definitely very different. So, and I, I came yeah. to love football also, you know, I'll watch it and I'll talk about it now too, but you know, it's like, um, there was more to life than football. And as college students, that was, that was really difficult. Um, but, and one of the interesting insights, this is, uh, for, for those who might be interested in the, the, the inner workings of a missionary kid. Um, there's actually a really neat study online about, um, how we deal with relationships. 
And, um, one of the, I think a really cool thing, but it, it is unique. If you think about a graph of, um, depth of relationship and time, you know, where, um, over time, how deep do you go in a relationship? And in most, you know, kind of typical American relationships, you start off really shallow and it takes time to get to that, to that increased depth of relationship and intimacy and things like that. With missionary kids, because our life is changing so often and, um, you know, just the, the necessity of making friends fast and things like that. When you look at our graph, we go from, you know, we don't even hit the shallow end. We just go straight into the deep end. And what happens is it can really fracture a relationship really quickly because, you know, hmm. the other person is staying shallow. I'm trying to go deep. And if you go with me, then it's great. We'll become really close friends really fast and I'll, we'll be friends for life. But if you decide that you need to stay shallow because going deep is too hard, then, then the relationship becomes fractured because I'm like, Hey, you're not going deep with me. And you're like, Oh, you're going way too deep for me. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, so it fractures the relationship and it becomes really hard to, to make and to keep friends. But you know, that, so that, that causes challenges for, for coming back to the States. Uh, you know, it, it was hard because not everybody wants to go deep really fast. And I didn't realize that about myself at that time. You know, that's uh, an insight mm-hmm. that I came to years that's later. That's just who you were. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, um, but looking back, I can see where that's what caused a lot of difficulty because I was trying to go, you know, I wanted friends who were willing to go really deep and, and, not just talk about, you know, the weather or the football game last week or something, but really talk about deep human things. And, um, it, you know, there's not a lot of people that are really willing to make that journey with you, except for maybe other mm-hmm. MKs. So thankfully I did have some other MKs that became friends early on and was able to, to connect and bond with them from an early age, uh, early on age when I came back to the States. But, um, beyond that, it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. What can um, churches here in the U.S. do? Uh, you know, we talk a lot about supporting our missionaries, praying for our missionaries. Uh, but when we say that, we often just think about uh, the 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 figurehead of the missionary, whoever that you know individual or that couple is. We don't always think about their children and the life that they live. What can our churches here in the U.S. do to help support and encourage? Um, the, you know, the children of missionaries all around the world in the churches that they support. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think number one is definitely pray. Um, I, I have a saying, I say all the time, prayer is not part of our strategy. Prayer is our strategy. And I believe mm-hmm. that in pretty mm-hmm. much every aspect of life, but definitely when it comes to our missionary kids, pray for them. Um, you know, it, it, it's a little bit harder because if you, if you have like the missions mosaic or something like that, you know, our WMU groups are praying daily for missionaries by name. They get those in, in, in their newsletters and stuff like that, but you don't always see the kids' names as easily. Um, mm-hmm. you've got to go dig and find. Um, but, but definitely pray for the missionaries' kids, you know, just even if you don't know their names or anything, just lift up their kids and be praying for them. Um, I'd say another way is just try to connect with them in any way that you can. Um, to love on them, you know, um, and that could, that could be so many things, to be honest. Um, I, I didn't receive these a lot, but sometimes we would get letters from, uh, GA groups or RA groups in the States. 
And, it, you know, it'd just be a simple thing like, hey, I'm praying for you and have a little picture that was drawn by a little girl or something like that. But sure. But that was really, really special. Like I, I still remember that to this day. And that, that made a huge impact on me to, to the fact that people in the States were thinking about us and sending these letters over long distances. That really makes a huge, huge impact. So doing something like that can be be so great. And then um and just again, getting to know the kids. So uh, a great way to do that. If, if, um, if your church has a, a missions house, um, it, that would host missionaries when they come back to the States, then that's a great way to get to know the kids and just, you know, they're living there in the house. And so just invite them to your youth group, invite them to your kids ministry, you know, things like that and, and help them to participate. And a lot of times it takes an adult doing that again, because of the difficulty of relating uh, across cultures, cultural barriers, you know, an adult is going to be much more likely to be able to understand those needs than a kid is. And so helping to make those connections from an adult and, and, you know, meshing the two together and saying, Hey, let me come introduce you to Brian or something like that. That can make a huge, huge impact. But, um, again, I think prayer and then getting to know the kids in whatever way you can, you know, if they're coming to a conference, uh, take the time to, to just say hi to the kids and get to know them and learn their names so that then you can go pray for them, you know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then that, that really does make a huge impact. And another way I think is uh, through mission trips. So in our mission trips, we have kind of a continuum of things that we can do, right? I mean, we, we have the times when we go as the missionary and, and we've done this at our church where we have gone as the missionary to a people group and basically, um, you know, with the help of translators and sometimes with the help of a missionary, we go in and we're the ones that are evangelizing, doing church formation, discipleship, and we're raising up the church from the ground up. And sometimes our mission teams are, are participating in that. And we are the ones literally doing that, being the missionary to the people group. But over on the other side of the continuum is where we are supporting our missionaries. And so we go in and we do things that are strictly to support the missionaries that are there. And a great way to do that is through helping the kids ministry. Um, and so a lot of the mission trips that are needed around the world are, are teams that can come in and provide childcare during a meeting, for example, you know, the adults are, are having a meeting and they need their kids to be watched. Um, the, mm-hmm. we've, we've done that on multiple, multiple occasions, uh, from everything from a homeschool conference to uh, a large group meeting for the area. Um, maybe just a prayer retreat where the missionaries are, are needing some time to go and pray together as a team and to just get closer to the Lord and knowing that their kids are being well taken care of can be just a huge, huge asset. Uh, so that, and that's a great way to support, you know, just to come in and provide that childcare for the, for the team. And, and that's from all ages. You know, it could be childcare for a baby, you know, and just a, a rocking baby changing diapers all the way up to a teenager who needs more of a youth group kind of experience and worship and, and discipleship and uh, group Bible studies and hanging out and games and recreation, you know, the whole nine yards that goes with doing youth group ministry. Uh, the whole gamut of that is needed. And so that is a really, really cool way that a church can really be involved with helping missionary kids around the world. What a powerful reminder about the importance of being intentional about building relationships. 
uh, with those serving on the mission field. We can do that through praying for them, through writing letters to them, visiting them um, whenever possible, but then also making sure that they're taken care of when they're spending time back here uh, in the United States. We'll continue our conversation with Brian after this brief message from One Child. Together we believe extreme child poverty has an end. And it starts with hope. Hope is a vision for a better future. A way to get there and the courage to try. And it is built through the church all over the world, coming together as one global community to help children thrive. We create a partnership experience that reflects your heart for the world. Together, we find the point where our mission and vision intersect to address the needs of children living in hard places. Together, we are a community that sees children as solutions, not problems. A community with the courage to go to the hard places. A community that gives so children can thrive. Together, this is us. Your church, a shared vision, celebrating global impact through the local church. For more information, visit onechild.org slash partnership. I love how Brian's parents were instrumental in him moving into his role as missions pastor at First Baptist Church. But I also wondered if he ever considered staying on the mission field rather than moving back to the U.S. Here's what he had to say. Oh, definitely. And in fact, you know, I think that for for missionary kids who, especially those who are being called into ministry, it is sometimes harder to stay in the U.S. than it is to go back to the field, just to be completely honest. <laughs> you know, where where here many people feel like they're having to be called to go overseas I think, uh, I think for missionary kids who are in the ministry, we have to almost be called to stay in the States. And, and that's very much how I was. Um, so I knew that I wanted to, to be in some kind of missions ministry. Um, I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. And I had never even heard the term missions pastor, minister of missions that had never even crossed my vocabulary, much less my mind. <laughs> and so, um, it's a very American it, idea. It is. It? I, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's a good one. It's a great one, but it is definitely an American idea. But, you know, as I started uh, thinking about that and praying as God started kind of forming what my life was going to be like, um, he started to put this desire in my heart that I could be in the States to take trips overseas and work with different cultures and also with different missionaries around the world, but based in the U.S. and really ultimately giving that passion to other people and to help them, you know, get on fire to take that across the world. And so it, it, you know, as that desire kind of grew in me, then I learned about the mission pastor and I said, wow, that's a really cool idea. You know, maybe that's something I could do, but I didn't, I thought that'd be something I'd do like in the future, you know, years down the road. And like, maybe I would need to go be a missionary first, just so I could come mm-hmm. back and then do this job. Um, and, 
I had not really dreamed about the possibility that I could do this job just growing up as a missions kid myself and got open the door and, and it was really cool because going back to the initial story, uh, when Harold told my parents about the, the qualities of someone that they were looking for and to this day, I don't know exactly what that list involved, but they tell me that I, it, that it named me to a T that he was describing every quality that I had. <laughs> and the only missing factor was that I was a missionary kid. Um, and so it's really cool to see how God kind of shapes and forms us to be able to do that. But, but it can be really, really hard to, to, to just think about the fact that I'm called to stay, you know, um, right. all of us are supposed to be missionaries. Just the reality is I think God has called literally all of us who are Christians to be missionaries. We're supposed to go cross culturally. And for some of us, that means staying right here and you go cross culturally by going across the street or meeting with internationals who God has brought to us, you know? Um, but for some of us, it's going to be going overseas and to the farthest places of the earth. But I think that he wants all of us to go and to be missionaries and to share his love with others, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their nationality, regardless of where they, you know, what language they speak. He wants us to share with everyone. And so that's what we should all be called to do. Hmm. From your perspective, um, why is it is it so important for the local church uh, to have a global missions focus? I mean, I think the, the answer is easy, you know, it's because Jesus said to, <laughs> so, uh, Matthew, you know, Matthew 28, you know, he gives us that, that command, that, that, that commission to go and make disciples of some nations. No, of all nations, you know, and to, mm -hmm. to make disciples in his name, to baptize them and to, um, to teach them everything that he has commanded. And then of course, in Acts 1 eight, he kind of gives us a, a little bit of that strategy. How do we do that? Well, we go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And, you know, it, so he never stopped and said, Hey, just go share with some people. He, he has a heart mm -hmm. for all people. And as you look through the scriptures, uh, time and time again, um, you know, you see where God has a heart for the nations. He's drawing the nations to himself, even exemplified in Revelation seven, nine, you know, where one day at the very end of time, we'll all be standing there before his throne. And it's a, people from every tribe, nation, language that are standing there. And so he has given us that commission that we should go and we should tell the world. And the thing is, when you really stop and think about it for a second, you know, if when you start to think about the world, not just, you know, your backyard, where is lostness? You know, I, is there a need for the gospel right here in, in Montgomery, Alabama? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, there are definitely lost people here, but there's so many churches. There are so many Christians there. Uh, someone once put it that you almost have to trip over a church and a Christian to go to hell from right. Montgomery, Alabama. When you go mm -hmm. to places around the world, literally there are still people who do not even know the name of Jesus. Like if you walked up to them, they would not know. We experienced that firsthand on the trip to Africa a few years ago. The ladies were, were going up and talking to this older lady. Uh, we call her Miss Betty. And 
they, they said, Hey, Miss Betty, we'd love to share with you a story about Jesus. Can we tell you a story about Jesus? And she said, Jesus, Jesus, you know, I think he lives in a village over there. <laughs> she had no idea about the name of Jesus. She had no idea who he wow. was. Um, and, and so if we don't go and tell, how will they hear? You know, so, so it's our responsibility to go and to tell. Yes, God could do anything. He could write it in the clouds. He could just, you know, you know, make a, Tortilla show up with the gospel on it, but he's chosen to use us. And as his church, that's what our calling should be is to go into, to share with the world about Jesus. And so I think that, and I think that short-term mission trips have a huge part to play in that. I certainly do. Um, but one of the biggest things that it does for us though, when we go on short-term trips is, uh, not so much make a huge impact on the people that we're going to see, but, it makes an impact on us and it, and it widens our vision and it should give us a passion for, for the gospel where we are. And for some people, um, it, they're going to come back and they're going to realize that they're being called to go to those, to the ends of the earth, to those lostness. And, um, and so that's part of my passion and why I do what I do. I, I, I want to get people into the field to experience what it's like to be around lostness. And hopefully some of those people are going to come back and they're wanna get, going to want to go full time to share the gospel cross-culturally around the world. Hmm. So if you could give one uh, piece of advice to a church and let's let's kind of imagine them as being maybe a, a smaller church here in the U.S. that thinks that they can't have a uh, big missions focus because they're just trying to function, you know, from week to week. But uh, but the pastor or somebody in the church uh, feels this this calling, this tug towards uh, developing a missions program. What piece of advice would you give uh, to a small church like that? Um. I'd say number one, just start praying. Um, pick a, pick a people group and, and just start praying for a specific people group. Um, and it's amazing to see what happens when you just start praying. Uh, God starts opening doors that you didn't even know were possible. I'd say two is, uh, you don't have to do it alone. Uh, one of the really cool things about our, our denomination, this uh, Southern Baptist, uh, that I am is that we cooperate and we work together to send out missionaries around the world. And it's that cooperation that allows us to do that. And so, but even, even if you were in a different denomination that maybe is not as, uh, cooperative cooperation may not be as built into the denomination or an independent church or something like that. Um, you can still partner with other people. And so sometimes that might mean getting with, uh, just a different church. Sometimes it might be like an association that, uh, that helps churches to come together. But I would say, you know, just partner together with someone and, and also, don't think that you have to take on the whole world. You know, it, uh, a, a trip to, of two or three people, literally just three people going to work with a missionary for a week can make a huge impact. And, hmm. you know, just taking that encouragement, you know, if you go as an encourager more than anything where you're going to encourage this missionary, like I said, it could be working with his kids, you know, just encouraging his kids, taking care of them so the missionary can go out and have a date night with his wife. Um, you know, there's, just things like that can make such a huge impact that you will never even realize. So, um, so, you know, start small if you need to partner together, but mostly start praying. And, and just a really quick story I want to share with you about praying. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a, 
we had taken on this people group called the Ijamat people. So this is in Western Africa and, uh, they lived in a village that, uh, to our knowledge, there were no Christians at all. It turns out that there was at least one Christian. And we had started making some trips there, and we came back and we put together a class we called the Ijamat 101. And uh, it was like a four-week class where you just come and learn about the Ijamat people and um, you know what it took to do a trip there and things like that. And it was really created in part uh, to, to help train those that were going to be going so they could know what the lifestyle was like, get some hints and trips, you know, what do you need to pack, what language which things you need to know before you go in, cultural things like that. But I also said, hey, if you just want to pray for the Ijma people, then come to this class so you can learn more about how to pray for the Ijma people. And it was really, really cool. On the first day of the class, this lady showed up and um, I'm not going to share her name because I don't have her permission right uh, now, but this lady showed up and she was an older lady. She was uh, in her seventies and, and actually had just been through about six months of rehab because of a car accident and had just been really down and got out of six months of rehab. And she came to this class and she said, Hey, Brian, um, you know, you said to come if we can pray. It's like, I don't think I can go. But I want to come and pray. And I said, Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much for coming in. And yes, we would love for you to just learn how to pray. And she went through the four weeks of the class. And at the very end, she walked up to me and said, Now, Brian, I think God is calling me to go. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, this is, I mean, we had laid it all out. This is one of the hardest trips. You have to ride in a plane, then drive in a car, then get in a boat for about an hour or two. And then you get out and you walk a mile in the hot sun and, and you get there. And then we sleep in a tent on the floor. And, and, but she said, Brian, I think God is calling me to go. And she did. And she was a huge blessing mm. to those people. So if that 70 plus year old lady who had just gotten out of six months of rehab after a car accident can go to one of the hardest places in the world in Africa to be able to go and share Jesus with them, what's stopping you? Ryan has such a different perspective on missions ministry and how churches can serve the needs of those taking the gospel overseas. Here are three key takeaways from today's episode. First, we have to keep the kids of missionaries in mind when we pray and we minister to them. When missionaries your church supports are spending extended time here in the U.S., Remember that their kids are here too. Find ways to include them in the life of your church if possible. Help them develop friendships here. Do whatever you can to make them feel supported and not just their parents. Second, Brian has seen firsthand from both sides of the relationship, the power of strong ministry partnerships. And more often than not, when the people in our churches engage deeply with these missions partners, it changes them as much or if not more than those that they minister to. And then finally, Brian reminds us that getting a missions ministry started in your church doesn't have to be complicated. Pick a specific group of people, begin praying for them and learning about them, and God will open doors. 
And remember, you don't have to go it alone. Your church denomination or your network probably has some great resources to help you get started. Another tool um, is connecting with an organization like One Child to help you begin to engage with churches serving kids living in hard places. I want to thank Ryan for joining me on this episode of the Missions Pastor Podcast. If you want to learn more about First Baptist Church Montgomery, go to montgomeryfbc.org. And thank you for listening to the Missions Pastor Podcast. This show is presented by One Child. We are a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so they can discover hope and reach their God-giving potential. To learn more about how your church can partner with One Child to bring hope to hard places, go to onechild.org slash partnership.